following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. 1 Corinthians 12. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26. I wonder if you think often to yourself how useful you are from day to day. When you think about the work you do, whatever it is, whether it's whatever your your typical day might be, do you consider what you focus all of your time and all of your effort on and think that it's useful? I remember when I was in the army, I was in basic training, and the goal was to make sure that you were always busy doing something. And it didn't matter really what it was, but sitting and relaxing was never an option. The U.S. Army was paying us to be there, and so we were going to work. It's one of the only government agencies that actually functions properly. So we waxed floors that were already shined immaculately. We cleaned toilets that were already clean enough to eat off of. We remade beds that were already made and swept hallways that hadn't seen dust for years. And when you're doing things like that, it's very easy to think, well, I don't really see how it is that I'm doing anything useful right now. Perhaps there are aspects of your own life, and they leave you thinking, I don't really see any meaning to this. What purpose am I serving? One of the things that I hear from Christians from time to time is, I just don't really see the role that I play in the church, other than just being there. I come on Sundays, and that's about it. What purpose am I serving? And really, that is a great question. We are a people who believe that all that we do has meaning and has purpose as the people of God. Now, perhaps the task seems menial and insignificant, but the Lord always has something to teach us in our work, to grow us, to shape us as his children into greater Christ-likeness, into greater communion with him. And so, what is the role that you play as a member of the body of Christ? Now, the question before us today is, what does God intend for us as Christians within his body? As members of the body, as, as parts of the body, as Paul describes us, how do we function? What should our membership in the body look like? How ought we to exercise what God has given to us? And so we're going to focus our attention on the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. But before we read that, I think it's helpful to have the larger context. Why does this come at this point in Paul's letter? In 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, Paul is really focusing his attention on the conduct of God's people in the congregational gathering of the church and the contribution that each member of the church is called to make within the body. In chapter 11, Paul is emphasizing the ministry of the Word of God and uh, praying being the, the primary means of engagement as the church gathers together. In chapter 12, where we will focus our attention, Paul emphasizes that while there are a variety of gifts and a variety of ministries, we are all members of one body in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 13, Paul gives the single criterion for the exercise of these gifts, which is love. We each make our contribution to the body of Christ, not for our own good, but for the good of others. And if it is not motivated by love, we really have given nothing of value at all. This all means, as Paul really summarizes in chapter 14, that we should seek to exercise the gifts that God has given to us in such a way that they do the most good for others. Our individual objective as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be on the collective focus of doing the most good for others for the overall body 
of Christ. And so hopefully right away, we, we clearly see that the, the mentality that many have of uh, the Christian life being simply about a relationship between me and Jesus, or that I'm a part of a church just so I can come and worship, or I go to church just to get what I need, whatever is going on with other people isn't so much a matter of my concern. That kind of attitude is directly opposed to what we are actually called to be and do as God's people. And Paul's going to show us that who we are, And what we do within the body of Christ really does matter even when it seems like what we do may appear to be insignificant. So let's look carefully. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Well, this is a very well-known passage of Scripture. Now, interestingly enough, it appears, and of course I can't give any definitive evidence of this, but you can pick up and read yourself, it appears as though the Apostle Paul here is actually borrowing an illustration or an idea from Uh, from the philosopher Plato and his book, The Republic, and book five, uh, where he is explaining the makeup of the city or the polis and what that is. And he uses this very uh, same kind of description, the city as a body and how all the members have to work together. And so Paul takes that and he's, of course, writing to Gentiles and, and a Greek community here to the Corinthians. And so in so doing, he is using literature that they would have been very familiar with. And he is relating that to the church and saying that the church is what is most important, and the head of this body is Christ himself. Now, I want you to notice something about what Paul is not saying here. Notice Paul is not saying, as a member of the body of Christ, you need to be doing things that are earth-shattering, groundbreaking, and revolutionary. And if you're not, you are not being faithful to the Lord. No, in fact, Paul says quite the opposite. And and verse 27 really gives us his main objective. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. As he writes to the church at Corinth, he reminds them, you are Christians and you are Christ's body. You have been made to be members of it. You are all different parts that make up the whole. 
So Paul's discussion here really is about spiritual gifts. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are people who are living life together, striving to be knit together to see lives change, to include our own, and to see our local community grow and flourish around the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are really three things that Paul is writing about here in this passage pertaining to gifts in the local church. The individual gifts of the members make up the whole body of Christ. He writes about the unity of the body. He writes about the diversity of the body. And finally, he writes about the interdependence of the body. So let's consider each of those individually. First, from verses 12 through 13, Paul shows us the unity of the body. Again, he writes, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When the church of Jesus Christ functions properly, it functions like a body. Now, I need to point out here early on that something very important is implied in what Paul is writing here. What is implied is that as Christians, we are members of the body of Christ, and not just in the sense that we, uh, we are Christians and we're part of the universal church, but that we unite ourselves in covenant union with a local expression of the church of God. These gifts that he's talking about, that he's writing about here, that are exercised within the church, are exercised within the local community with which we unite ourselves. We're really unable to fully fulfill God's design that he has for us as his people apart from membership in the body of Christ. It would be like uh, I know several guys, they'll introduce me to their girlfriend, and I'll say, how long have you been dating? Well, we've been dating for seven years. What in the world? Seven years? You should have married her six years ago. What are you waiting for, right? And it's it's that same kind of idea that I never want to fully commit. And yet, the emphasis here is on being a part of the body, covenanting ourselves with the body. And it's not, it's not out, you know, well, I don't know if I'm ready to commit yet. She's, she's not exactly what I want. Well, guess what? You're not exactly what she wants either. It's never going to happen. So just commit. And we have these ideas about the church. Well, it's not everything I want. Well, no church is perfect. If it was, you wouldn't be invited to join. And so the implication of what Paul says is that we must unite ourselves in covenant relationship with the church. And this image that Paul wants us to have in our minds is a physical body. And it's made up of various parts. This body is composed of all these individual parts. And so the parallel that we have is that as individual Christians, we have specific spiritual gifts. And as we employ those gifts, as God has intended, the body moves and functions in the way that it is intended to move and function. In verse 13, Paul reminds us that we were all baptized into one body. In other words, we each entered into the body of Christ. We became members of the body, and this is so important. It didn't matter if we were a Jew or a Greek or if we were a slave or free. Now that we are a part of the body, we drink of one spirit. Think about it this way. You could look around this room and you can see all kinds of people. We have different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different kinds of parents. Some of us have sad stories about our past that we've endured. Some of you did a lot of things in your own life that nearly wrecked yourself through a hedonistic lifestyle, through making poor decisions one after another. Others of you, maybe you were born in a church pew, 
You sang tenor on hymn number 312 when you were still attached to your mother's umbilical cord. Some of you have college credits from 15 different universities. Some of you never made it past the fifth grade. But here's Paul's point. In the midst of all of it, in the midst of all of our differences as individual members of the body, as the church, we are together as one and there is no distinction. There's a oneness, there is a unity that we have in Christ. There is one Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit dwells within all of his people, having reconciled us to God, now uniting us together in Christ. And so, at its foundation, the church is a community of equality. There is a oneness to our existence. We are brothers and sisters. We are sinners saved by grace. We were enemies of God, created in the image of God, and in need of the Lord Jesus Christ, each and every one of us. The 19th century pastor Charles Simeon commented on this aspect of the Christian life in a sermon. He said, Whatever may have been the former profession of any man, whether he had been a Jew or an idolatrous Gentile. And whatever be his present condition in society, a free man or a slave, he is no sooner baptized into the faith of Christ than he becomes a member of Christ's mystical body. Let the disparity between them be ever so great. It makes no difference as it respects their relation to Christ or to each other. The least honorable members of the body are as much a part of the body as the eye or the hand, and as much dependent on the head by which they subsist as to which they minister. And this is precisely the connection in which the lowest as well as the most exalted Christian stands to Christ and to the collective body of his church and people. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes, For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And of course, we know Paul writes in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. And he he goes on, nor male nor female. In other words, we are one in Christ. Not one of us, not a single person in this room has a higher or a lower standing with Christ than anyone else. In the eyes of Christ, at the foot of the cross, we all stand in the same place. So let's think more about Paul's illustration of the body. It's important that we draw out some of the implications of this illustration. A body is living, it is breathing, it is active. It has vital symptoms, excuse me, systems, not symptoms, vital systems that hold it together. It is valuable. It is growing, it is, it is changing, it's ever-changing. That's important because the church is not like a building or a car. A building or a car is something that is it's highly engineered, it's structured with different pieces and parts, but once it is together, it is what it is. And it serves its function over time, but it decays and it crumbles and eventually it needs to be upgraded. A body, though, a body is an organism. It's constantly being transformed. And so Paul says we are all members of that body. And this is one of the greatest joys of being a part of the family of God. The fact that all of us, as individual parts of the body, means that we're all important to its functioning properly. We're all interconnected. And when everyone is doing their individual part and working together with the whole of the body, fulfilling its calling in the local church, the body is healthy and growing and strong. But where does this unity come from? Paul told us again in verse 13, it's something that God does through the Holy Spirit. All Christians have been baptized by the Spirit. And so we are united to one another because the same Spirit that lives in you lives in me. The Holy Spirit inspired. 
the writing of the Scriptures. And as you and I read and study the Bible, the Holy Spirit illumines the truth of the Word and convicts us of our sin, and then He leads us to repentance. The Holy Spirit also drives us to be reconciled to one another when we are at odds with other members of the body. And so Paul is showing us that our unity isn't because we look alike or or because we come from the same neighborhood, but because we are filled with the same Spirit. We are all led by the same Spirit. We are all reading and studying the same Spirit-inspired Word of God. We are all convicted of our sin by the same Spirit. We are all loving one another with the same love that is poured into our hearts by the Spirit. And so the Lord baptizes us into Himself, making us Christians, And then we continue to drink from the well of his kindness, which enables each of us to live this new spirit-guided life, patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, our unity as the body of Christ is absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit. However, with the Holy Spirit, unity is, is not only a possibility, it is the natural result of following God. If we are walking in the Spirit, we are one body. And as one body, we, we are concerned that all of the other parts of the body function properly. And when they're not, what do we want to do? We want to go to their aid. And so the body is healthy and growing and strong and cannot help but be unified because a body is moving together in one direction. So I hope you see Paul's point here. In the body of Christ, there is great unity because of the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. But he then goes on to talk about the significance of the diversity of the body of Christ. Look again at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts we are treated, uh, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So just because the body of Christ is unified does not mean that it is uniform. Unity does not equal uniformity. In fact, it's best that it's not uniform. In God's wisdom, we all serve different functions. So uniformity would be of no benefit to us at all. The diversity of the body is what makes it function properly. Now remember, we are specifically here talking about our spiritual gifts. God has given numerous gifts of various sorts and kinds for the church. Remember as Paul writes back in verse 7 of this chapter, he says it's all for the common good. And that's a very important thing to remember here because so often when discussions are are had about spiritual gifts, the fact that spiritual gifts are for the common good, for the good of everyone, uh, that's often uh, forgotten. They were given by God for the common good. So let me say it this way. If the gift that you have and are exercising does not serve the common good of the body of Christ, either it's not being used properly or it's not a spiritual gift. 
Now, among the gifts that God does give, some of them are very public, and they're worked out publicly under the eyes of all who are a part of the body of Christ. So, for example, the role of a pastor in a church. The office of pastor is often referred to as life in a fishbowl. A pastor and his family live that way, pretty much always on display, and in some sense, God has intended it to be that way. And so the importance of always making certain that a man is qualified biblically to hold the office which he holds. But there are other gifts in the church that are exercised in relative obscurity. Gifts that are worked out and sometimes the the rest of the body may not even recognize that they're doing anything at all, even though if what was being done wasn't being done, it would hurt the body. The the previous church that I pastored, there was a man there who had never missed a worship service for 24 years. And then he got cancer and very quickly within two weeks he had died. But the first Sunday that he wasn't there, it came time for the offering and we were all sitting there. We were singing and the offering plates never came. They never showed up. Why? because he always would choose the men, he would hand them out to the men who would go and do it, and we just assumed it was getting done. And all of a sudden, for the first time he wasn't there, we see something isn't being done. It seems small, it seems insignificant. No one really ever paid much attention to it until it wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden, we notice. But here's the thing, whether the gift is in the public eye or whether it happens in complete obscurity, it it doesn't speak to the importance of one over the other. In other words, we're not in competition with one another. All of the gifts that God gives are necessary for the good of the church, and what we need to be concerned about is whether or not we are using our gifts. There's a story about four people in a church. And their names are everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Now the church had financial responsibilities and everybody was asked to help. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody ended up doing it. So everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Then, of course, the church campus needed some work and somebody was asked to help. But somebody got angry about that because anybody could have done it just as well. And it really was everybody's job. In the end, the work was given to nobody and nobody did excellent work. And that became the pattern. Whenever work was to be done, nobody could always be counted on. Nobody visited the sick. Nobody gave their time and money to support the church. Nobody was a very faithful member. So finally the day came when somebody left the church and took anybody and everybody with him. So in the end, the only one left was nobody. And that may be a silly story, but it so clearly illustrates what happens time and time again in churches all over the world. When we fail to see ourselves as a vital part of a diverse body of believers who are unified by the Holy Spirit, we will always assume that everything is being handled by somebody, even though a lot of things can be done by anybody, and so they end up being handled by nobody. And then the body begins to suffer. It atrophies and eventually it dies. But as God's people, we've been called to something quite different. We've been called to be a church against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. In other words, the the picture that Jesus gives us is a church that is, is coming up against the gates And these gates of hell are are a defense against us. They're pushing up against us, and yet we are fighting and we are pushing to break those gates down. How is that even possible, though, if we are just going to sit back and say, well, I'm I'm just sort of here. 
I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Besides, even if I did, they're probably not going to be all that important. But look how Paul corrects that kind of thinking. Just like your body has many parts, it's the same with the church. There are many parts. They are all different, but they're part of that same body. The pinky is not the nose, and that is a good thing. But the pinky and the nose are both important and necessary. So just the same within the church, we have very diverse parts to play, diverse roles we need to fulfill in the body if the body is to function properly. And so here's something I hope all of you will think about today. What is your spiritual gift and how are you using it for the common good of God's people? Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, so what is yours? Now, a lot of people might say something like, I would like to share the gospel with my neighbor, but I just don't know what to say or how to say it. When I open my mouth to say something, nothing comes out. And so I just stand there awkwardly and I stare at them and I might mumble, Jesus. Now, if that's you and you're thinking, I really can't tell my neighbor the gospel, I will absolutely just freak out and pass out and I might die. Don't let yourself off the hook and say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Now, that may be true. And people are gifted in evangelism. That is a spiritual gift. But you still have a role to play in the evangelistic task of the church. It may not be, having, be in having a, a robust gospel conversation with that person, but it might be that you take the time to get to know your neighbor and build a relationship with them and then figure out how your gifts can be used to communicate the gospel with your neighbor. Neighbor, for example, perhaps you have the gift of hospitality. Invite your neighbor over for dinner while also inviting someone from our church who has the gift of evangelism. And by their natural gifting, they're going to have conversations with this person that will eventually be spiritual in nature and allow them to share the gospel. You see, you're, you're not any less of the part of the body because you used your gift and exercised hospitality when the, when the other person came alongside you and used their gift to evangelize. You are working together as the body to make disciples. And in fact, here's what that does to each and every one of us. It forces us to recognize what our gifts actually are and to use them. We're left without excuse. And so instead of being able to go hide behind not being good at something or not being equipped to, to do whatever it is that, that we're to do, we have to say, what are my gifts and how do I use them? How do my skills work to help the mission of the church? Now, maybe it's inviting someone to church. And, and picking them up on Sunday morning, giving them a ride, introducing them to other members of the body because you have the gift of encouragement and you want to see them engaged in relationships within your church family. Maybe you're, you're very administrative or you're task-oriented or very creative. What kinds of things are you helping create for the church overall to share and spread the gospel far and wide? Maybe you have the gift of helps. How are you serving the individual parts of the body through practical hands-on helps? How are you using your gift to bring your neighbor to a place where they might hear the gospel? Not everyone is going to have the confidence to lay out the gospel from A to Z, but you can engage a person with your spiritual gifts and say, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday?" Or, I'd love if you came to this Bible study that I go to on Wednesday nights. Or, I'm having several friends over for a barbecue on Friday night. I'd love it if you came with me. You see, our gifts not only work to serve the body of Christ, but they also work to serve the task of the body of Christ, which is fulfilling the Great Commission. But think of how our, our gifts also work to serve the body. Just being here, just being in this place of worship this morning, I can think of when the first car pulled into the parking lot this morning to when the last car will leave this evening. 
there will be no less than probably 50 people in our church who have contributed in some way to make everything work in the way that it does. And in some of those things, you'll never know they were done and you will never have even thought about the fact that they went on. The doors had to be unlocked. The lights had to be turned on. The chairs were straightened. Sunday school teachers spent the week preparing. We have workers in our nursery right now watching many of your children. Someone had to set up the sound equipment. They had to display the words on, for the music on the wall. Different pieces of furniture are moved. You see it here between Sunday school and worship. The, the pianist had to practice. The songs had to be picked out with scripture readings. The rest of the order of worship had to be Laid out, we have people who stand at the door, who greet you as you come in. We have someone who will be at our welcome table at the end of the service to greet visitors and give them information about our church. Someone had to prepare the announcements. Others will be at the bookstore to sell you the book of the month that I know all of you are going to buy as soon as we are finished here because it's 50% off. There are ushers who will help you find your seats. They collect the offering. There are others who will count it and put it into the bank. Some will make coffee. Others will change out trash bags and make sure there are paper towels and toilet paper. Some will be here during the week, making sure the light bulbs are all working and the air conditioners are functioning. Someone has to pay the bills. Someone has to send support to our missionaries. And on and on and on we can go. You get the point. But as a body functioning together, we have ample opportunities to stand back and say, you know, maybe there are a lot of great ways I can serve the body and utilize my gifts for the common good. There are a, a lot of really good things going on that are absolutely necessary. But there, there's some caution we need to advise as well. Just because there's a lot of activity at a church doesn't mean the church is fulfilling its mission. Sometimes churches are really, really busy, so they never actually have time to do what they're called to do by God. I've been in parts of churches that have meetings scheduled on top of meetings to make plans to have other meetings in a few weeks to discuss the meeting that was tabled last week. I've been in churches that have monthly, I'm not kidding, monthly congregational meetings to vote on every expenditure over $20. Some churches have committees on committees. It's a committee that determines who's going to serve on other committees. All the while... There's no means by which people are growing in their relationships with one another or their family or their neighbor or their communion with God and it suffers because their time is spent doing a lot of stuff that really doesn't result in much but it seems good and right because it's for the church. <coughs> That's why we want to be very, very careful that what we establish as a church in, in terms of what we do and the patterns that we're going to create, that they serve our overall mission as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things we, we can do as a church, but just because we can do them doesn't mean that we should. The church is an organism that depends on Christians developing and using their gifts instead of creating programs where we just cram round pegs into square holes. There's far more biblical and in the end, far more growth-inducing ways to function as the church. It may not be really exciting. It may not be very cutting-edge or innovative or creative all the time, but I hope you see in your own life and in the lives of your fellow church members and in your children that it works to bring about growth and maturity over the long, slow journey that we are on together when we also allow ample time as the body of Christ to be the body of Christ in a more organic way. And here's another caution that's important for us. Because we have a diversity of gifts, we have to be careful not to, not to assume other people's motives when they may not be as passionate about something as we are. So maybe there are things that, that you live for in terms of serving the church. And while the body needs to be collectively supportive and helpful, not everyone is going to be 100% fired up about it like you are, and that is okay. 
In fact, some people might not even participate in whatever it is that you're doing, and once again, that is okay. Why? Because before anything else, we are called to fulfill some really important ordinary things that in various seasons of life can take a lot of our time and effort. There are things that all of us are commanded to be and to do and to be a part of, like gathering for corporate worship. That's a non-negotiable. It's driven by God's command, and it's essential for the Christian life. And so unless we are sick or providentially hindered by a real problem, we should be gathered with God's people on the Lord's day, regardless of whatever else the world wants us to do with this time. But there are other things that we do as a church that we need to be supportive of, but as individuals, we may not be all in, and that's fine. We should rejoice in our diversity. Look, the reality is that all of us can't go to the prison to engage in the prison ministry. All of us can't be street preachers. All of us can't do everything, and that's okay, but you, you should not judge others who do not have the same passion about some of those things as you do, because they are functioning, hopefully in a passionate way, equally as much in some other way. We should rejoice in our diversity, that others have opportunities and gifts to serve others of the body in ways that we may not be able to do ourselves, either because we don't have those gifts or because maybe I'm in a season of life right now where I'm not able to be committed to certain things like I was previously or like I will maybe be able to do in the future. But your thing is not the most important thing. It's part of the bigger work of the church And so if your focus isn't on the common good, but rather on being recognized for whatever it is that you do, your focus is wrong and your motives are probably off. Our gifts are for the common good of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's be careful not to use them as a means to elevate ourselves to a place of self-importance wherein we focus on us instead of on Christ. Lastly, Paul shows us, verses 25 and 26, our interdependence as the body of Christ. Look again, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You and I, As the body of Christ, we need each other. Sorry. You need me. And I need you. And God uniquely gifted each of us to serve for the common good. And when one of us, when even one of us fails to utilize the gifts that we've been given, the whole body suffers. If you're an arm and you stop working because you decide one day, I'd rather be a spleen. Even though you're not even remotely close to having spleen-like qualities, the entire body will suffer. So whatever your gift is, it's given to you so that the body will not suffer, but rather be built up and edified and helped by you using your particular gift. We see this all throughout the scriptures. We're called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're called to not grow weary in doing good to one another. The older men and the older women are are called on to invest in the lives and the training and the encouragement of younger men and younger women. And the more we serve one another and alongside one another, the stronger the body grows, the more we learn about each other. So you see, not everyone has the same gift. And the way we bring encouragement and edification to the gathering will vary according to God's gifts. But everyone should be pursuing the same goal, which is to edify the congregation in love. We may all edify in different ways but we are all edifiers. We do not all have the same function, but we are all urged to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
there is an interdependence to our gifts. They need one another to function properly. And simply by virtue of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, being a member of the new covenant, all Christians have the privilege and the joy and the responsibility of being involved in the work that God is doing in our world. And I want to say that most of Emmanuel Baptist Church utilizes the gifts that God gives to edify and build up the church. But not everyone. There are a few of you who should, I pray, examine yourself. What are your gifts? And how are you using them for the common good of the body of Christ? You are a part of the body if you're a member here, so how are you going to make sure it's healthy and growing and functioning properly? It's pretty ordinary, but it does require two things from each of us. It requires authenticity and transparency, first of all. We are who we are by the grace of God. So here's the deal. Let's just be honest about who we are as individuals. The primary thing that God requires of us as we come into the Christian faith is to say, I'm broken, I'm hurt, I'm full of sin, and I need a righteousness outside of myself because I have nothing of worth to offer. And so instead of doing like Christians tend to want to do and spending the rest of our lives trying to prove otherwise, let's just be transparent and authentic. And the more we pursue that, the more we're freed up to actually utilize our gifts because we're not having to fight through a facade that we're trying to keep up. We can be safe with one another and know that in the end, Jesus is our hope, not ourselves. So why not be authentic? Why not be transparent? But secondly, this requires a right understanding of the gospel and what it does. As a member of the body, don't just sit back and say, well, I think I'm probably actually more of an appendix. Nobody really knows what I do or why I'm here. I'm just sort of occupying space, and if I get inflamed, they can just take me out and get rid of me, and no one will care. And so we get this, I'm not good enough to contribute mentality. But here's the thing, the gospel absolutely affirms that. Here's the thing, and we need to remind ourselves of this all the time, you're absolutely not good enough. You're not, you cannot clean yourself up, you cannot make yourself good, you cannot earn a spot on the team or graft yourself into the body on your own. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, this really isn't helpful to me. I'm not a part of a church. I'm not going to be a part of a church. So let's get this over with so I can move on. I have no interest in serving the church. But hear me out. The people sitting around you who are Christians will be honest with you and they will tell you what you might not expect to hear. And that is that each and every one of us are terribly messed up at some level. We are. We all have a past. And even in the present, we are saved by grace, but we are still doing daily battle with the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. We don't have it all together. And so that means that all of us need what you need to run to the cross and not away from it. Our imperfections remind us that God knows our makeup and he, he had to make a way for us to clean, be cleaned up so that we could be a useful part of his body. If you aren't a Christian, I'd be willing to bet that at some level you look at your life and you think, I really do struggle with purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What is this all about? Are you trying one thing and it doesn't work and so you try something else and eventually you start to think that your life is just like running on a treadmill? You're putting in a lot of effort but you're not actually going anywhere? Look, I'm here this morning to tell you that as long as you are without Christ, that lack of meaning, that lack of purpose, that lack of direction, that lack of belonging, that lack of progress will continue. Maybe you'll have some great moments here and there but there will still be emptiness that you cannot fill. But God has made a way for you to understand your purpose, your calling, and your worth. It's not found in yourself, in what you do, but it is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. 
the one who came into this world and lived a sinless life to fulfill the law of God, the one who died on a cross to take in himself the full weight of the wrath of God, that those who come to him by faith alone and trust in him and put their lives in his care need not perish under the wrath of God, but have everlasting life. And so friend, if you are without Christ, I encourage you to look to him. I commend Christ to you that you would find hope and peace and purpose in your life. And brothers and sisters, as children of God, he has provided in Christ a righteousness for us that frees us to live our lives in such a way that we are able to use our unique gifts as a member individually of the body of Christ that is united by the Holy Spirit that we might all make much of Jesus Christ together. In other words, you're not spinning your wheels to prove something. You're working out the things God has gifted you to do to benefit the common good of the body, which is made up ultimately of him being the head. That's it. In terms of our work, that's what the gospel does. So how are you doing? What is your spiritual gift and how are you using it for the good of the body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the body of Christ. We are thankful for our head, Jesus Christ. We are thankful for every member of the body because the church with which we are a part is able to function in a way that glorifies you and serves the common good of each and every one of us. And so we pray, Lord, that whatever part we are in the body, that you help us to know what that part is and to live and serve and function in a way that makes sure that that part is useful. That we would do all that we do as members of the body of Christ to the glory of God, not as unto man, but as unto the Lord himself. May it all be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.